0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the 90s Club Footy Podcast. This week we are chatting with former Melbourne midfielder Stephen Tingay. Stephen, a shepherd and native and remembered for his long blonde locks, began his career with Melbourne in 1989, playing 162 games in total, before one season at the Sydney Swans. Stephen spent most of his career wearing one of the club's most famous numbers, Number two, after the late, great Robbie Flower. Nicknamed Stinger, Tinge won all Australian honours in 1994. In this episode, Stephen talks about making his way to Melbourne, a life-threatening accident in the early stages of his career, the 1994 final series, the temptation to head to the Fremantle Dockers, and his injuries. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy my chat, with Stephen Tingay.
1: Oh, I'm looking forward to this one on the 90s Club Footy Podcast, the former Melbourne champion Stephen Tingay. Thanks for joining me, mate. Great to touch base with
2: you. No problems. Yeah, it's had a good time with Melbourne coming off a um, premiership other than a few issues off field with uh, Stevie May and Jakey Melton, but I wouldn't say... Will be the last, or wouldn't have been the first time that ever happened in um footy club. There's been a few dust-ups, but that's I, the way I, it happens. I reckon maybe in the
1: nineties it might have happened a little bit too, mate. No doubt, because it's probably not oh. as um serious as what it is now with uh, you know protocols and so forth.
2: Yeah, it's well documented, that's for sure. But um, I always say it's probably more that happened at the pubs on the weekend that happened to all other people in life, rather than. AFL footballers that doesn't get documented, so they're in a minority. But that's the way it is. There are uh, high profile people, so it gets exposed, and then people have got to justify their actions. And they're either role models or they're not. But when you've got high profile people at a club that's coming off a premiership, it's probably even more high profile. So you got to do things right. Before
1: we get into all the footy talk, I'm looking forward to catching up with you and sort of following your footy journey. What are you doing now with yourself? Like, since what you sort of finished in the early 2000s, what's the great Stephen Tingo been up to?
2: Let's glorify it as of today. So, since the pandemic, I'm working out of my garage. So, for two years, I've, well, I'm, I'm a personal trainer and done that for a number of years. I've been in the fitness caper for a long, long time. Uh, but I had to um, adjust and start off business in the garage. So, myself and another guy from work, Spent some money on some equipment. So I'm a personal trainer. It works well at the moment.
1: Yeah, nice. And that I guess that work uh, life balance sort of out of home too, which um, is probably a nice little thing as
2: well. Yeah, definitely. I missed the social side of it. Where I was before was uh, the woodshed in Brighton East, 20 odd trainers. Um, the social aspect of if people cancel or maneuver their time, you're going to go and have a coffee, but it was pretty social.
1: Hmm. Mate, let's talk some footy. Uh, you were drafted by the D's in in the 1987 draft. I guess the draft's a lot different now to what it was back then. What are, you, what are your memories of, uh, you know, that time when you were picked up by the Demons?
2: Mate, this is a real strange story because people go, oh, so what? You're nominated for the draft. I go, I've got no fucking idea. Did I? I was 17 going to school in Shepparton High, probably painfully shy kid who I got in the rec teams but I didn't think I ever got a run I'm probably a little sensitive kid like a lot of kids that think they don't get a go um and then John Ahern who was already playing under 19s for the Melbourne footy club it was we were 15 and 16 and we had a northeast uh Caltech carnival that you have to go to to get uh picked in the team and I said why would I go I don't get picked or playing any of those. And he goes, no, no, come, come come, along, we'll just have a laugh. So he recalls that I kicked seven goals on the wing and there was 11 scouts there at Rushworth that day. <laughs> so he was playing in the ruck. Somehow I kicked a few goals, I played really well, and there were scouts, Melbourne scouts and other scouts there looking for obviously for footballers, and then they probably watched me from then on. And that draft, uh, not glorifying or bragging, but I got a phone call from Hawthorne and uh, North Melbourne. uh, And then also Melbourne were interested. So looking back on it, I I don't even know who was really interested. They just say that might happen. And I don't know whether I nominated or what happened or they say, oh, we're gonna nominate him. And that's how it happened. And it was on Remembrance Day that I got a little telegram into one of my classes at Chevron High School and it said, Ring mum from the sh- to the shop. So, mum was at the shop and I had to ring up. And she goes, Oh, I go, what's going on? What's the problem? It's an emergency. Yeah, you just got drafted to play for Melbourne. I went, what? What's that mean? You know? <laughs> like, and then probably that went down that December and had a look at where I was going to go and play football. And then next year, I was going to Melbourne High School and doing VCE.
1: Reading some research about you just during the week. Was football always one of your first loves? Because I know you were a pretty accomplished BMX rider that did really, really well.
2: Uh, I'm a typical country boy that played cricket. So I played, um, well, senior cricket pretty early on. I played A and B grade at probably 15. Uh, I took up BMX and at one stage I was a pretty small kid, which I probably am pretty small in the likes of what they are now. They got six foot four and six foot five midfielders. I was probably pretty tall wingman i was 182 centimeters which is nearly six foot um and i got injured a little bit and broke my collarbone taking on big kids because i was pretty aggressive still as a little kid and i probably played aggressive when i played afl but um yeah i broke a collarbone and i just took up BMX. while well, i was doing bmx but i just went back to bmx for a while um fortunately for me I'd go to the Melbourne Development Squad training. So I wasn't playing footy on the weekend, but they allowed me to continue keep training. I don't know if that was right or wrong, and I kept my skill level up. So, And then while I basically raced BMX um, and was fortunate enough to do a ride at that, I was still keeping up with footy skills, and then I went back into a team sport and played footy.
1: 1989, round one, your major debut with the Demons. Uh, the Ds were coming off a, a grand final berth in 88. You must have impressed during that pre-season, Stinger. Um, what are your memories of your first sort of proper season in the seniors, which I guess netted 12 games?
2: I played – I actually missed my first ever game that was meant to be in the night series, whether it was Panasonic Cup or not. Um I got suspended in the under nineties for abusive language. <laughs> Back in those days, small crowds echoed a lot of the junction Oval, so they actually they suspended me. So I was going to play in the seniors for the Panasonic Cup, so that was my first ever real game that I actually didn't get to play because I was suspended, and I played all the pre-season, and then I ended up, um, luckily enough, playing against Fitzroy at the MCG, I think I only got one touch for the day and I kicked a winning goal. So, very lucky. And then I was in and out for the year playing 12 games. So, I don't know, it was hard. I played in the reserves at 18, 17 and 18. And you're playing against familiar names like Steve McCann and German and Larkin and all those blokes who, uh, you know, very mature bodied players. Um, footballers and people and yeah i remember lukey beverage one day got knocked out or not knocked out got knocked over by steve mccann and you know steve mccann was twice the size of him but that's what professional sports all about there's all shapes and sizes and um yeah there's ebbs and flows and pitfalls that you know there's different size people and different bodies and that's the way it rolls i'm into all that sort of stuff because of being in the fitness caper and i've worked for a number of clubs as well
0: O'Dwyer had a ping at it and missed it. Jackson, Connolly, high ball, hurt the punch. Out it comes to Tingay, can the rookie win it? That's close, it's a goal and the Demons have hit back, have they, if it's through, it is! Melbourne by five points in a
1: thriller. Well, Stephen Tingay, won't he be elated then? What a fine effort from the fellow to come on the ground. And kick what
2: could be the winning goal. There's still some time left. May not be enough for Fitzroy.
1: And then obviously 1990. You know, I guess that 12 games in the '89 season set you up nicely for for the 1990 season because then you end up playing majority of the season. So you just sort of feel like after that, having that first season, being in the under 19s before that, that you sort of were really starting to feel like you sort of belonged at the level to a certain
2: degree. Yeah, there always comes a moment where they've got to make a decision on you and I think it happened a number of years after that. But 90, I think I played every game, 24 games, um, and we played in finals. I think we ended up getting beaten by Hawthorne, but I think it's more the confidence. You're, you're a skinny little kid. Who I was a skinny little kid who, ringing wet was 67 kilos when I first went to Melbourne. By the time I was about 22, which is a little bit after that, I was about 82 kilos, which 15 kilos is a lot to put on. Mm. Um, So I was still finding my feet. I was probably lucky enough I played on a half forward and I was probably on and off the bench a little bit um, and a little bit of wing. Played wing my whole life in Shepparton and hated it. So ironically, I played on the wing most of the time for Melbourne. I don't know how that happens. But anyway, um, yeah, so I was very lucky that year. Didn't get injured and played 24 games every game. So, yeah, under John Norley.
1: Who was? Uh, was there any players or you know specific coaches that were involved in those early that early part of your journey that sort of really helped you, sort of mould you into the you know into a regular AFL player that really had that development influence on you? Uh,
2: there always comes a moment where, as I said before, I'm probably a sensitive little kid that was 15 and never thought I'd get in any team. Uh, John Ash was one from Shepherd and said, you can actually play where well, no one had actually ever told me that. And then I got to the under-19s and played as a midfielder and Alan Jarrett was a fantastic um, leg up into the next phase of my career when I was in the under-19s. So he had some faith in me um, and then eventually got to Neil Balm who just let people play their own game. Were fantastic. John Norley said me on the the right tone. He was pretty harsh at the time. I don't know if he'd get away with what he said back then. Now, <laughs> he'd be a few players walking out, but he was fantastic for me to actually learn the caper. And it's a harsh environment. It can actually have some residual effects on you in later on in life. When when they or um, well back then it was part time, so mm. you didn't have all that. Uh, discussions and find out where players are in their life. They're trying to work and they probably hide a lot from from, uh, a lot of coaches back then. But, yeah, so I had John Ash in Shepparton and then I had um, some great development coaches through the Melbourne Development Squad. And Then I had um, Alan Jarrett, I think, was a good springboard because you just learn what to do as a footballer and then go into uh, senior level. I
1: was watching a a chat you had with uh, Russell Robertson last year um, sort of similar to what we're doing. And I didn't realise that you had a freak accident around that nineteen after the 1990 season where you fell through glass window. What can you share of that? And uh, did that have much of an effect of, uh, on your footy,
2: sort of, that happening? It's hard to put a yes or a no on whether it affected me. Uh, I, so, I say this hardly. I had a deformity as a kid, so I had Perthy, so an ill-formed hip joint on one side so I never ran too much so eventually I was going to have a lot of back issues probably in the course of time and wear and tear and being a little um, country kid that played tennis and hockey and soccer and every sport possible Um, but it was a freak accident I got pushed through a plate glass double door and severed my thigh and then cut a nerve in my hand and did some damage Uh, and they say I probably shouldn't be here so I was probably lucky to play from then on so I lost that much blood Um, and then probably had some ongoing issues from there but I think it was all going to happen anyway hip, hip related but yeah I severed the right thigh cut a tendon and a nerve in my hand which luckily to this day I thank Graham Southwick for fixing the nerve it was initially sewn up and wasn't fixed properly so I was starting to just basically have a webbing on my hand and not any muscle so now I've actually got some muscle so I mark differently in the end I notice now I teach kids footy and I mark like that rather than like that and it's a bit bit strange but I think everyone's got deficiencies along the way but that's what happened with that accident where I accidentally got pushed and um yeah the rest is history I don't know what would have happened but I had some chronic injury whether it was related to that it probably contributed a little bit but I'm not yeah. saying it's a be all and end all of it mm. yeah Jeez, I think I played a few games the next year. I played fifteen, which I don't know how I did, but I played fifteen games the
1: next year. Yeah, I was just gonna ask you that did you miss much footing the following year or was it something that sort of you know was able to be rectified, I guess, short term where it allowed you to play a few games, but as you said, sort of fifteen games. So that's probably did that surprise you a little bit or
2: it does in hindsight. Yeah. So I think it was october that the accident happened i was going to the pool to do an extra swim session so i was probably at that cusp of done enough development and i probably carried it through a little bit and being young enough and then i had a few other issues some other surgeries after the first one uh initially and then i think i just got lucky to play 15 that year but then it all sort of started to unfold a little bit there before i think it was Uh, 92, I didn't play too many games, and then I played all but, in the next two years, all but one game, I think, Mm. so, yeah, it all started to unfold, I started to get a bit of buttock pain, and then a few hamstring issues, I didn't rip, everyone thinks I had massive hamstring issues, but I had just an achy buttock coming from back injuries, I had, obviously had some um, stress fractures in my back as well, whether that happens as a kid from overuse or not, so something was going to happen eventually.
0: Peter Road has Tingay loose, he uses him. Stephen Tingay can run on, have
1: a shot from 50. Simons gets him late, it's coming back, what a goal!
0: Well, they're doing it well, aren't they, the Ds? Stephen Tingay, his first goal, and it's great to see him back playing football because a couple of years ago, he fell through a plate glass door at Shepperton lost a lot of weight. Very lucky not to do himself further damage, but just through perseverance, he built himself back up again. He showed a lot of talent before that accident. Now he's getting back on track. Wearing number two, there he is in the foreground.
1: Was it frustrating to, uh, Stinger? uh Like because it just seemed like I guess towards probably the latter party career, you know, it just sort of they kept on coming and did it feel like they were ever gonna stop and you're ever gonna recover from them and get back and play in the footing that you, you wanted to play?
2: Yeah, it was always not, that was an underlying thing that I actually came to deal with. It was always you got other injuries along the way. So I think 93, 94, I was lucky enough to play a few games and get a a good foundation in. And that's when, you know, you get to that age of being in the system a bit, they're making a decision on you whether they're going to keep you or not. So got lucky, had a great fitness advisor that not many people would know. Chris Jones went on and was very successful at the, Melbourne Storm, I had great physio, Mary Toomey. I didn't run much in my career pre-seasons, basically a little bit of training and then I played the game. So because of my hip injury, I did a lot of bike riding, swimming and a lot of weight. So it probably helped me keep on a bit of weight muscle. Um, So I was fortunate enough when they're making a decision on me to have a fitness guy back me up and say, no, I think he can do that and progress with all the cross-training into playing footy. So later on it was inevitable it was probably gonna happen, but I had other injuries where, you know, I just footy footy injuries until I yeah. actually ended up rupturing a hamstring. So I ripped it off off the bone. So other than that, I was fine. I just ebbed and flowed through. Just lost a few I think ninety seven I only played three games. So lost some big times in footy. But I look back on it and go, how many People would like to play 162 games and tick that box and be in the system for 12, 13 years. I'm very, very lucky.
1: Before I hit on the '94 season, because I think, you know, looking back at stats and, you know, I guess stats are a big thing, but I just think, you know, numbers really suggest that was a great season. You started your career in 52 uh, with the number 52. Then I had 15. Then you got the number two, which was born by the great late. Robbie Flower, that must have been pretty special to be handed that jersey and to, to wear that one.
2: Yeah, I think everyone's got a story. Um, Robbie Flower wore 52 in his first number. And then I went into 15 and I'd had some unlucky incidences, which we just spoken about, where I cut my leg. And and I think one of my close mates, Paul Hopcourt, ended up having number 15, which i take the piss out of and say it was one and five on him because he was so wide. It was like miles apart. Um, so he got one and five and then we we're at a um jumping presentation and Robbie Floud had helped me a little bit with some of the kicking and skills where he was transitioning probably out of footy and I was going in. Um, and not that I knew him that well. Um we had a discussion, I think he was on the um, selection committee at the time, and he goes, Oh, well, mine's only a number. And we were talking about, it, I said, Oh, well, I'll take it like just flippantly and he goes, oh, let's see what happens. So I think he put it to the board or whoever, had to go to the board and they agreed on me wearing the number two. And I was shitting myself wearing it. The first day I wore it was in the first game of that uh, whatever year it was and I wore the warm-up top the whole way through until the last minute because I thought... (laughs) The boy's going to go, geez, he's getting ahead of himself. But someone <laughs> had to take it at some stage. And Robbie just said, it's been there, sitting there for so long, it's only a number, but what's the point? So I took it. I honestly wasn't an arrogant little kid. I just said, I'll take it. Just probably thinking, well, it's never going to happen. And it did. <laughs> and since then there's been some fantastic players like Stephen Armstrong who went off, unfortunately had some injuries and he was in the Bali bombings. He went to West Coast and wore number 35 and played in Premiership. And oh, we all know the feats of um, Nathan Jones. So yep. interesting to follow the number. Not that we're all entwined and got this great relationship, but it's Robbie, me, Steve, and then Nathan. And then you look at the history and hopefully there's someone else who can um, at least wear it and be successful. That's all you want. You yeah. don't have enough to be successful. You just want to watch their career. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And, and you're right about James. What a player he was, mate. Like So you would have been wrapped to see him take it on, you know, following, I guess, Steve Armstrong. But, um, yeah, that's that's great, mate.
2: Yeah. Um, James, he's just been through the ringer with the footy club. And he he got us through all the all the shitty bits. And then he, unfortunately, the timing. But that probably happens at every club. Yeah. It's, always, it's always one. But um, I probably shouldn't be talking about it on air. But I, I would hate to know what he's gone through, so there must be some type of, <laughs> he's probably got a tug of war going on inside, you know, the gut feelings, and I sympathise with him for sure, you know, I, I didn't get to play in one, and they played in one, and then they actually, they won it, so yeah, I've got some empathy for him. Hey mate, you were
1: very close to playing in one in 94 years, made a prelim final, you know, weren't far off, half time, Uh you know, you're only maybe a goal or something behind against the West Coast Eagles. You know, they they were a formidable lineup. Like, looking back now, and I don't know whether you've watched video or anything like that, do you you feel like you guys were that far away?
2: I think that was our best year, our best opportunity. Um, I played in that for a little while that game. I played on – now I'm going to brag – I played on Matera. (laughs) I think I had 11 on him in the first quarter. And then in the second quarter, I um, did a cartilage in my knee, and I tried to go back out – but I, I actually couldn't see out the game. But that was our best opportunity. I think we had Martin Pike in the in the forward half, and we had Paul Primpke and um, Peter Rowe was I think that's I don't know if he nullified Jackovic. But we had a great team of a good cross section. Schwader, all all those Gary. We had, we had just a great cross section of great players that were just doing their job at the time. Uh, unfortunately, we went over. In hindsight, we went to Perth too early. So we were all working at that stage, had normal lives. We'd go and play footy. We went over on a Wednesday and we just sat around like busted asses, really like killing time. We Basically, I think bikes went to the casino. Guys went and watched two movies, one after another. So we actually just used up all our nervous energy before the game. The possibility of going, you know, maybe just the night, or the day before. We went over Wednesday and we sat around and wasted a lot of nervous energy. Mm. Yeah, right. One of the first ever, I think, finals that was in interstate. Melbourne with their biggest lead of the afternoon. Diving in their it to Clarkson. They're irresistible at the moment, working it down towards Harford. Farmer to Tengay, runs inside the 50. This is an important check. It's It's first, and you can feel an entire city well, almost deflated
1: by that one. At the end of 94, obviously coming off a, a really good season with the Ds, um, all Australian Fremantle were coming into the competition, and from what I've read, just reports and so forth, you know, they made an offer for you to go over. Were you contemplating it? Did you think about that change of scenery, joining a new entity, or were you always going to, you know, stay at, uh, stay at the Ds?
2: No, nah, I was pretty close. I was pretty close to go. Cameron uh, Schwab who recruited me to Melbourne was the head of their recruiting, Fremantle, so he, he knew me. Um, ben Allen had already been signed as captain and I was going to be vice-captain and I think him being a local boy and me also being, um, well, making my name a little bit uh, from 93, 94 was going to be a marketing player for them and um, I had a number of off-field stuff that was going to be done for maybe just the projection of the club in its inaugural year. And I remember I'd made a decision the night before and then I'd gone to work where I was a curator at a uh, golf course and Paul Hockwood who was studying, he was at home, and Cameron Schwab had dropped around a surfboard to try and entice me to go. <laughs> so that was one of the funny stories. I've still got that as a trophy at home. So it's not been used too much. Um, but, yeah, so I, I was pretty close to go and I look at it in hindsight now, would have loved to for the opportunity and the difference in um, the States and the way they follow their footy. I'm now a life member of the Melbourne Footy Club. So you, you sort of look at it that way and go, well, I, only, I tried to play at the end of my career for Sydney, but I played every game for the Melbourne Footy Club and I'm pretty proud and I'm a life member. So I, I look at that and just pretty... Proud of my achievements. I, I don't know what would have happened if I had gone to Perth. And I, you, know, you can't live two lives, so that's the decision I made.
1: Yeah, I love it. Yeah.
2: I, I it. regret it, it a little bit when you're first having a little bit of turmoil the next year or whatever. You just go through that. I think that's just a nat- natural emotion. Yeah, yeah.
1: There you go, hmm. mate. The role and make, and I'm, I mean, like the physical make of a of current day midfielder is a lot different to what. I guess, the, the role and the make of a 90s midfielder was like. What was it like playing in that position? And, and especially being the 90s, being such an attacking brand of footy, I guess defense wasn't probably high on a lot of game plans. It was more that attacking brand. What was it like playing as a midfielder in the 90s in that attacking role with, I guess, a, a, a variety of different types and makes of, uh, of mids? Uh, well, late 80s and 90s
2: was brutal. I just remember that it was an 89 grand final between Geelong and Hawthorne when Gary Ablett cleans up Dipper. From then on, it was brutal. And the way the game's going now, is fantastic for longevity, marketing the commercial side of footy to keep your best players out there is what should be done and make sure they protect them. And then only because I'm going through it now and I'm in my early 50s is the physical side of it. I had a hip replacement six years ago. So... Everyone says, you know, we're overpaid, but you're underpaid for the rest of your life. And I said this to someone the other day and they looked at me all startled and went, good point. I said, how many people go to work every day and the possibility of getting hurt, but then they work for seven days to go and get hurt again? Knowing the ramifications of the next week could be the last time they do that for 12 months, if they do an ACL, or they get fortunate enough to do that again. And it might yeah. be a five day turnaround. I'm just using seven as the example, but not many people do that. Huh. And then the residual effect after you are finishing your 30s is ongoing for however long you live, 40 or 50 years. And I'll probably look at it in a little bit of a different light because I'm in the fitness industry and I'm pretty and I like to be active, but I go, who does that? You want to go many and jobs. In? no and I'm gonna go in for a pay rise. Every bloody time because I'm still hurting and it gets worse as you go along. I used to do the percentages at Sydney of how many people can perform the exercises at the start of the year compared to the end. And then you get all the old blacks who've got all the residual injuries and they've got get new ones as they go along. And then the percentages show that they end up performing about 30 to 40 percent of the program, and then you have to come up with alternatives. I just look at it differently because I'm probably in that industry. Not meant
1: to run at each other at thirty-five k's an hour and actually walk away nice <laughs> and happy. <laughs> no,
2: absolutely not. I guess towards the end of the
1: nineties, uh, the um, your time ended with the D's. How did you cope to the, with the decision? Was it a, a mutual decision? Was it one that was pr- pretty much on the on the demons, and you thought you might have had a bit more to give? Um, how did that result? And was there a bit of disappointment there, or was it amicable?
2: Oh, no, it's pretty amicable. Um, Neil Danner is a pretty straight shooter. Um, I knew I was on the list and I signed a two-year contract and I probably played the first half of the 99 season, which I think I played okay. I think I just got put in the state squad and then I hurt my hamstring the next week. So so disappointed in, in the way that all ended. Um, but I look at it and go, I know a business decision and it's not that hard to look at it and say, yeah, I know I've got to move on. Uh, nice. Fortunately, I got the opportunity to go to Sydney to prove that I was fit enough to try and have a gold it. Um, I was either going to have a at it and fail or be successful. So I'd rather had some courage in knowing that it was go- I might fail and that's what happened. So and they were pretty uh, best of all that sort of stuff, what was going on with me, but they saw the potential on the upside. So I didn't take a massive... Chunk out of their salary cap. Put it that way. It was yeah, almost so. on a rookie wage. Trying to go. You know what? I just want to play footy. Yep. Because it's near its end. So, yeah, that's pretty much out. it ended. Uh, it's not. It's disappointing in hindsight, but while you're going through it, it was pretty tough as well. These sort of defeats can really hurt. Here's Ten runs inside the fifty. Big kick. This one. I think he's got
1: it. Melbourne increased their lead. One last one before I give you a couple of quick handballs, mate. Uh, with the Ds, you played under Norby, Balm, and Danaher, and you sort of answered this before, but who was the one you thrived under the most?
2: Well, I learned a lot more because we were uh, full-time or part-time in footy under Neil Danaher. So we did um, full practice. We do theory and then go out and execute practical stuff so we understood things. Um I love Barney's relaxed approach to footy and all I say this to too many people, Barney would come up to you and if you're playing okay and being a wingman and a midfielder, they they tagged you a lot back then, or well, not a lot, but he'd come up and go, what do you reckon? i go, well, you're the coach. What do you reckon? he goes, just play, they'll play on you. So that's all I did. And then there was a time where I actually played on Kim Costa and he was playing for Footscray at the time. I had about seven possessions out of Witt Noble, and I go into Barney's office, I go, oh, I need to have a chat. Didn't play that well. And he goes, why? I go, oh, I only had seven possessions. He goes, oh, mate, I take no notice of that. That's it this week. And then that's how it ended. <laughs> like, so that gave me some confidence.
1: Yeah.
2: So there's, there's two methods there, and well, there's probably three. There was one real instructional end of my career. Fantastic. Neil was very relaxed, which probably was can You can deal with it for a long time, but it's, at some stage you're putting your hand out to get some direction as well. And then there was John Nauldy's, call it military, but uh, I probably needed that at my age when you've got a little chip on your shoulder when you're uh, turning into a teenager into it. In and I say it in inverted commas, an elite athlete that doesn't know how the public are looking at you and all that. You need your head you know, pulled in a little bit probably. I don't know what I was as a person, but... You know, it, it re- redirected me pr- appropriately. I think the whole that whole execution from all those coaches.
1: Yeah, fantastic. But mm-hmm. as I said at the end of the podcast, I usually give a couple of quick handballs. So the first one I'm going to give you is I'm going to give you a few names that you come across in your journey at the D's. Uh, happy for you to share a word or just a short phrase about them. I know you can probably you know you could you could give me a paragraph about each, but we'll keep it nice and short. So the first one,
2: Gary Lyon. Influential and oh, amazing captain, amazing, amazing. Anthony Ingerson. Lone, lone fist, so we used to call Wingo Lone fist because Neil Dunner one day said, don't you fucking kick it, just handball it. So from then on, <laughs> don't you get it, he just <laughs> to punch the ball away. And Neil was great because he defined it and said, that's your job. So that was the first time we ever sort of got – hey, mate, that's your that's your potential and that's your skill level and your ability, stick to it. So job description, go do that. And then everyone sort of started to go and we got real, real great honest feedback in meetings and we, in the end, go, yep, that's what you fucking do. Don't kick it and go, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the piss out of your mates. But we stuck to the task and that's what it got us good because we stuck to our job description.
1: Oh, I love it. Fantastic. Uh, and Jeff Farm um, is the other one I want to ask you about, the Uh
2: Wizard was funny. Wizard's like a jovial jovial little gnome. You know, <laughs> he lived with Nita and Jeff White around the corner and I lived here with Paul Hopford and Russell Robertson and Robbo had his little music set up downstairs and they'd come and jam and the wizard would come in and jam and they'd play music and guitars. So the Wizard, you get this, you're just happy around the Wizard because he's always jovial and funny. But talented, I don't think he. He, he probably, I reckon he could have been better than what he actually showed.
1: He was a gun, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Hey, favourite football moment, mate. What's the one that stands out the most?
2: Oh, it's hard. But I didn't understand it at the time. When I played state footy, I didn't know what we played it. I, I sat near Buddha Hocking and Gary Ablett on the flight over, which is now bragging and name-dropping. But I hadn't played in a lot of that those senior-level state stuff. Um, and playing the game and Mark Harvey played and, yeah, obviously some big names. Gary Lyon might have been captain. Um, I watched the replay back. I'm not sure when it was. It was ages afterwards. But didn't realise the magnitude of football. I was 24, you're just playing I suppose when you get a a high standard later on you probably put a bit of stress on yourself to get in those teams I'd never really been in them and I played in a state game against South Australia, in South Australia and we lost by two points but EJ Whitten was around and you just, yeah I was probably nervous at the time and I looked back on it in a comfortable environment and went, that's me without being a big head but you sort of don't absorb it enough when you're doing it, you're just doing yeah. it. It's like people, you play footy and I go, yeah, but the magnitude of that now is super important. I think you don't sink in until you get a bit bit older and realize, people say people play a lot of games. I go, it's not all the games, it's the training and the hours before all that. It's it's horrendous, it's probably tenfold of how many games they played of what they've actually put into it. Like Craig Bradley is amazing. So he used to play cricket and then go for a run like once he'd finished batting or hear all these fucking stories and i go, like, Jesus. But it's no secret, he was an amazing player. Yeah. So it's all that shit that goes in between before you tick a box and go, I played another game, another game.
1: Hey, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure to uh, reflect on your journey. I can speak with you for hours. I reckon it'd be great to have a beer with you and, uh, and just hear all your footy and stuff, mate. But I uh, really appreciate you taking some time and having a chat with us on the 90s Top Footy Podcast.
2: Oh, no, that's fine. I'll probably give you enough ammunition, but all I can broadcast to you anyway, yeah, a couple of quiet beers would be a little bit more interesting. Trying to get the hand pass away, blanketed there by the diving Tengay. Rance, back comes Tengay, though. Well done, young man. Tengay from 40 metres, it deserves a goal. I think it's going to go for him, too. Oh, what an inspirational goal. Melbourne stretch their lead.
0: That's the end of episode 32. If you've missed any previous episodes, you can catch them all on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We're on all the social media platforms, so drop us a line on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter on any particular episode you've enjoyed or a guest you would love to hear. Next week, we catch up with popular VFL AFL commentator, Tim Lane.
2: Top. it's rugged, it's good, solid AFL football.